I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We've seen the backstory behind Samson's birth, and we've seen how Samson's parents were stricken with reverential awe and fear upon encountering the presence of the Holy God. Now, we go straight into chapter 14, following the final verse of chapter 13, verse 25, which says that the Spirit of the Lord began to stir Samson. He's now appointed as a judge. He's a Nazareth for life. And instead of his very first action as a judge being going to war against the enemies of God, it's to marry a pagan woman from an enemy nation. Here is Judges chapter 12, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a young Philistine woman there. He went back and told his father and mother, I have seen a young Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. So, as a word of context, while the Philistines were not explicitly numbered among the nations from whom the Israelites were forbidden from intermarrying with, we know that they're an enemy nation of God. Fast forward the biblical narrative and the story of David and Goliath takes place. Goliath was a Philistine. Here's verse 3. But his father and mother said to him, Can't you find a young woman among your relatives? <laughs> That's a little bit weird. Or among any of our people? That's more reasonable. Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines for a wife? But Samson told his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So, his parents propose a perfectly reasonable question, and this judge of Israel is very insistent on what he wants. The title of this series is Failure, Lust, and Loss. This is a failure on Samson's part to lead. It is likely motivated strictly by lust, and it's going to lead to tremendous loss. These words at the very end show remarkably poor judgment on the part of the judge. She's the right one for me. As you'll see in the coming verses of, of this chapter of Judges, Samson seems to view his relationship with his mom and dad primarily as his innermost circle. And his Philistine wife is going to actually speak on behalf of her people, meaning she does not assimilate into the nation of Israel. She does not cease to worship the Philistine gods and, and, and embrace the true worship of Yahweh, the one true God, her view of her inner circle is the Philistines. She becomes, frankly, uh, a representative for the interests of Philistia, and their marriage becomes the battleground. She will resort to emotional blackmail, all right, trying to get Samson to give her the answer to the riddle that's going to come up in this chapter. If you're reading this in your hard copy Bible, you can see that it says Samson's riddle at the top of this in some translations. That's coming up. Samson, meanwhile, is going to, he's, going to, he's going to give in to her nagging. But rewind the clock back to, to, to this text. She's the right one for me. Get her for me. All right. He says earlier, now get her for me as a wife. <laughs> I have, he says, seen a young Philistine woman in Timna. That's why I think this is an example of lust, all right? He's just seen her, not had a conversation with her. He has not asked her what her values are and her goals in life. Uh, he has just seen her. He's laid eyes on her. And he's like, yep, I want to marry that woman based strictly on the information that I have absorbed with my eyeballs. That's my wife. Now, mom and dad, go get her for me. So this, 
this man is exercising remarkably poor judgment. This is going to be a source of struggle for Samson regularly. Now, I have to, in light of what we studied in Hebrews chapter 11 in our previous devotion at the end of last week, point out that God's hand is on Samson despite Samson. God loves Samson despite Samson's mistakes. God's hand may be on you despite your past sins. God loves you despite the things that you do. So, Samson is about to make a colossal mistake here. He should have listened to mom and dad. Moreover, even in his marriage, this is worth pointing out because as I counsel couples, I see this come up a lot. When you are united, husband and wife, the two become one flesh, you are leaving mom and dad's house. Do you hear that, husbands? That means that mom and dad are now a separate family. You are a separate family. You are connected for life. You are to honor your mom and dad for life. However, however, you are your own marriage, okay? This is going to be a huge source of strife that's not going to just affect Samson and his wife. It's going to affect the Philistines. It's going to affect Israel. God is sovereign, of course. So watch what happens as this plays out. This is how it begins. Remember how it begins, because it was not based on a divine inspiration from God. It was based on, I think, a lustful impulse on the part of Samson. However, it's also going to obligate the Philistines to help the Israelites later. God in his sovereignty is never caught off guard by any of our mistakes. He is omniscient, and to truly be omniscient means that he has absolute knowledge. To have absolute perfect knowledge means that he knows everything that's going to happen. So he has foreknowledge. You cannot have omniscience, true omniscience, without foreknowledge as well. This comes into play Romans chapter 8, and it has huge influence on soteriology, like how we understand salvation. Molinists and Calvinists have more in common than the Calvinists may like to admit. God knows exactly how it's all going to play out. He sovereignly, divinely orchestrates everything according to his sovereign plan, and he can work anything together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even what we can look at and plainly see to be a lack of judgment on Samson's part. Samson is going to wholly misinterpret God's move in his own life. He's going to take credit for the things that he does. He's going to act in a way that is motivated largely by personal vengeance at times, but he is unwittingly, as he does this, carrying out exactly the will of God. Watch as we study the story of Samson for a reflection of your own nature. Watch as we study the story of Samson for a similarity to the way that God may even bring about redemption from your past mistakes. Samson is not showing good judgment, and that's a bad sign for a judge, but the God whose hand is on Samson's life is good. You may have made huge mistakes in the past, but these do not disqualify you from being used by God. You weren't qualified before you made that mistake anyway, because before that big mistake or those big mistakes were other small mistakes, every one of which confirmed the fact that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is right off the bat, three verses in to the story of grown Samson, uh, we can see that he's a judge who has some pretty poor judgment, but the God who's in charge of him is good. The Lord is sovereign over your life. 
Look at how God uses Samson and imagine how he can use you. It's a beautiful story of redemption and hope through the lens of eternity. These Philistines are going to be conquered, but it's not going to be by an army. It's going to be by God's miraculous hand through this guy. Just watch.